0: Thank you for choosing to join us tonight. Uh, I know um, it is a wonderful privilege to be in the Palisades and remain in the Palisades to hear a speaker like Giddy Greenstein, who's here and who has um, graciously flown in from Israel to make this speaking engagement. Um, So it is a huge, huge honor. Part of the reason for having it happen this week, our Israel Matters Committee has been very busy, um, as have, as always, around these and other uh, important issues. Uh, Rachel and Bruce Jeffer have been very, very busy putting together this evening, along with our committee. And so our Israel Matters Week is happening, um, of course, when it's an important time for Israel. If we're going to honor Israel truly, then we look to her calendar and her time. We live in two civilizations, said our founder, Mordechai Kaplan. Uh, We live firmly in the American civilization, and firmly we have the other foot planted in the uh, Israeli-Jewish long history of a different calendar, a different way of looking at time and history. And so it is that Israel Matters Week uh, falls on, we placed it on the week of Yom Hazikaron, and Yom Ha'atzmaut, which of course come together because we are a both and people. We are not an either or people. And so, before we can have a 4th of July kind of celebration as a people, which for us is Yom Ha'atzmaut, Israeli Independence, Israel Independence Day, we have to have a day to acknowledge all that was lost, all that was sacrificed, all that was destroyed, all that fell, all that continues to be threatened all that continues to be lost, to have the amazing place that we have in the Jewish homeland in the state of Israel. Uh, tomorrow is Yom Hazikaron. So this is... Yom, Yom Hazikaron is today. Excellent. So uh, so we're right on time. Not so used to being on time. Um, supposed to be... Again with the Shabbat thing, Avi. Okay, so it's good to know. There was supposed to be... Okay, good. Jews. Jews, Jews, Jews. in the calendar and the argument, it should be, but it isn't, because it's Shabbos, but really on another day... Whatever. We are gathered to to engage deeply with uh, our love for Israel, her people, and all the ideals that she uh, represents for us, um, as well, as I said, to acknowledge um, with Yom HaZikaron, those who fell. So there's not a more appropriate piece of music to open with than that of a young paratrooper who herself was freed from Nazi-occupied territory and chose voluntarily to parachute back into Nazi territory in her twenties to free others, was captured and tortured, never giving up any information before her death, but managing to smuggle out these words, Eili Eili. Eili,
1: Eili. Kol <speaking in Hebrew> <speaking in Hebrew> Shelamim, brakha shamaim, My God, I pray that these things never end. The sand and the sea, the rush of the waters, the crash of the heavens, crash of the heavens the prayer of love the,
0: the words of Nathan Alterman The Silver Platter The lurid sky slowly pales over smoking borders Heartsick, but still living, a people stand by to greet the uniqueness of the miracle. Readied, they wait beneath the moon, wrapped in awesome joy before the light. Then, soon, a girl and boy step forward and slowly walk before the waiting nation. In work garb and heavy shod, they climb in stillness. Wearing yet the dress of battle The grime of aching day And fire-filled night Unwashed Weary unto death Not knowing rest But wearing youth Like dewdrops in their hair Silently the two approach And stand Are they of the quick Or of the dead Through wondering tears The people stare Who are you the silent too. And they reply, we are the silver platter upon which the Jewish state was served to you. And speaking, fall in shadow at the nation's feet. Let the rest in Israel's chronicles be told. Everything we speak of tonight, we can do because of their sacrifice. Let Israel remember. Israel, May God remember the valiant men and women who braved mortal danger in the days of struggle prior to the establishment of the state of Israel and the soldiers who fell in the wars of Israel. May the people of Israel, may we, cherish them in memory. Let them mourn the splendor of youth, the altruism of valor, the dedication of will, and the dignity of self-sacrifice which came to an end on the battlefield. May the loyal and courageous heroes of freedom and victory be sealed forever, the door va within the hearts of all Israel, in this generation and forevermore, as together we say, Amen. Amen. It is with great honor that I give you our speaker after Rachel.
2: Thank you all for joining us this evening for what is part four of our Israel Matters speaker series. I hope that uh, some of you have been here for some of our past speakers. Um, We are honored and fortunate to have Giddy Grinstein here with us tonight, who not only flew all the way out from Israel today, but has to fly out again tonight. So we are thrilled that he is able to take this time to be with us. Gideon is president of the Rayut Institute, which he founded in 2004. Um, Rayut's mission is to make a meaningful and indelibly Jewish contribution to the state of Israel and to people worldwide. They do this by identifying fundamental gaps in policy and strategy and then envisioning and implementing innovative solutions to solving these problems. Giddy is the author of Flexigidity, The Secret of Jewish Adaptability. He's also a founding member of the team that transformed the original idea of birthright Israel into what is now the largest and most successful Jewish education program in the world. Uh, He served as secretary and coordinator of the Israeli delegation for the negotiations with the PLO under Prime Minister Ehud Barak, and participated in the 2000 Camp David Summit. He's a graduate of the Tel Aviv University Schools of Law and Economics, as well as the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Please join me in welcoming Gede, um who will tell us more about his groundbreaking work, and then at the end we're going to take some time for Q&A.
3: Thank you very much, and it's a great pleasure. I'll just move here so that uh, we, I can see both you know, the screen and you. So it's a great pleasure to be here tonight. This is a great community. I think it's the fourth or fifth time that I'm here, and it's always uh, really an honor to be here. I love visiting these kind of communities and meeting people like yourselves and seeing your beautiful building and everything that's going on here. Uh, I want to thank Rachel and Bruce, Rabbi Bernstein, Rabbi Renner, uh, Cantor Frankel, and obviously the Israel Matters uh, Committee. Is it a committee that uh, made this possible? Um, And I just want to just share a few thoughts about the the day, um, basically the seam line between the Day of Remembrance and the Day of Independence, which for us in Israel is a very meaningful moment. Uh, Most Israelis, myself included, we know personally, of people that have made um, the ultimate sacrifice or a very significant sacrifice, wouldn't wooden body or soul. And uh, it's a very meaningful moment for all of us. In my case, the next, literally the next door neighbor, and uh, you know, on the fourth floor of our building, these are two cases, young people that I knew. And the transition from the Remembrance Day, which is a day of mourning that everybody participates in, to Independence Day, which is a day of celebrations, is not trivial. It's challenging for all of us, and it's obviously extremely difficult for the families themselves. So uh, people often ask, why do we make this you know, back-to-back connection? And obviously, as Rabbi Bernstein says, it's about associating the price that we pay with the benefits of actually living in the most remarkable period in Jewish history. When we think about it, it was really never better to be Jewish. I hope we can all agree about that, right? Between what's going on in Israel and what's happening in the United States in America and all over the world, um, it, it's really the most remarkable period for us as a people in terms of our influence and affluence and security and so on. So there is this... Immediate association between price and benefit. But it's also what makes the price worthwhile is because, um, and the sacrifice is because we are here to serve an amazing cause. And the cause that the State of Israel was created to serve is not only to create a safe haven for Jews and a place where Jews could realize their right of self-determination. But it's also about our mission to create a model society that will be a light unto the nations. And this is like a north star and an horizon for us. And it guides us and it drives many of us in the way we think about the future of Israel. But for me, most Israelis sort of speak about the connection between Memorial Day and Independence Day. But for me, the period that begins in Pesach and ends in Shavuot is really, the whole period from Pesach to Shavuot gives an even more meaningful context. Because the story, as you know, the story of Pesach is we come out of Egypt, we we embarked on a journey from slavery to freedom, from Egypt to the Promised Land. Egypt was then, just like the United States of America, the great empire of the time, most prosperous and so on. And literally, you know, in the seven weeks from the greatest miracle in our history to, uh, you know, to getting and receiving the Torah on Mount Sinai, the people get confused, and they build the golden calf, and they lose confidence, and they want to go back to Egypt. So there are a lot, there's a lot of anxiety in the transition to the promised land. And beyond that, there is this moment when we get the Torah, right? And the Torah is there. We receive it on Mount Sinai. And since then, and obviously this is very broad brush, brush strokes, certainly for the last 2,000 years, we're in the process of interpreting the Torah and making it relevant to our lives. And that process is an ongoing process. But what is so special about this is that this text makes us inherently unique. What Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, we are in a permanent condition of otherness. And that condition of otherness is the source of a lot of our problems. But it's also the source of our position of permanent leadership in humanity. Because if you're different, an essential condition for leadership is being other and being different. And for me, which is what we're going to speak about today, Israel has inherited that DNA. And it is our responsibility in Israel to interpret what does it mean to be the model society of the 21st century, not just for us, but for the whole world. And I believe that there are certain areas where we can make a difference that will echo around the world, punching way above our weight in terms of our contribution to humanity and our influence on humanity in the coming decades. So tonight, I'd like to focus on that, exactly as mentioned here, the challenges, the opportunities, and some of the new frontiers that we need to deal with you know, in Israel, actually all together. So uh, what we'll do in the next few minutes is I'll share a few thoughts about this topic, and then we can have a conversation. Um, so first of all, is it working? Great. So um, as was mentioned earlier, In 2004, actually, a few years before, I was privileged to serve in the Israeli government as the coordinator of the Israeli delegation for the negotiations with the PLO. That's a long story in and of itself. Uh, The most dramatic moment of that period was uh, the Camp David summit in 2000. But for me, the takeaway from that period had less to do with the peace process and more with the incapacity of government to deal with some of the most important challenges that face our society. So based on that experience, I set out to, to create a group of people that will specialize in dealing with the most pressing challenges that face Israeli society. That group of people is right here. That's what we look like as a team. And it's called the Rehoud group. And basically what we do um, is we create very innovative models to tackle some of the biggest challenges that face our society and the Jewish people. And we do so by combining research and strategy, design and technology. And whatever the ideas that we create, we then pilot and test in order to create models that could be scaled. Okay, So this whole process of diagnostics, creating a vision, a strategy to realize the vision, piloting these ideas, extracting a model, and scaling the model. That's what we do for a living. And we are doing it over and over again each time taking one major challenge that faces our society, State of Israel, the Jewish people, and then working through it in a very systematic uh, uh, way. So one of the areas that we are really um, um, struggling with is the the connection, which is basically the process of innovation. The work that we do combines two types of innovation. Technological innovation, so you, when you may want to think about your cell phones or your cars or you know, any other area in, uh, where you know, technology brings progress. But there is also another area of innovation, which is what we call societal innovation. And societal innovation is how you organize people to get things done. So for example, the first VC company was societal innovation. The first kibbutz was societal innovation. The first synagogue 26 centuries ago was societal innovation. So there are many, we are are in the process of innovation all the time, combining technology, technological innovation, and societal innovation. And the work of our group is to combine those two things together in order to serve the vision of resilience and prosperity for our society. So this is sort of a background um, to the question that we've been asking ourselves for a long time, which is, what is a 21st century model society? And I believe that this is a very important question for Israel. But this is also a question that comes directly from our sources. Because in our sources, going all the way back to Abraham, we are commanded to be a light unto the nations. Abraham was blessed, was commanded, to be a blessing for the families of the earth. And since then... The whole idea that we as Jews should carry a message to humanity, should bring forward new ideas and new concepts that will elevate humanity. That has been central to our heritage. It was inherited by Zionism. From the very beginning, Zionism aspired to create a model society in the land of Israel. And as I mentioned earlier, I believe that this is a very relevant idea and question today. And that question is, just as you can see here, What does it mean today? What does a model society look like? And it is this question that I'd like to focus on over the next few minutes. So first of all, the first argument I'd like to make is that the building block of the model society is the community. 21st century model society is the community. So let me explain why that is the case. One of the most remarkable, one of the most powerful forces that are changing our societies is often referred to as the change in the nature of change. That means that things are suddenly happening on a much faster pace. There is a, a sense of a permanent revolution. Technological change, with social change, with economic change, with political change, is disrupting our lives. So there are two areas in our society that have a very hard time coping with that pace of change. The first is government. And government is very slow to respond through legislation and regulations and establishing standards and so on. And the second area of society that is struggling with the pace of change is households. So we're looking at dramatically rising vulnerability among households, middle class, lower middle class, and so on. In Israel, for example, over the last 25 years, the level of what is called vulnerability doubled. So what is vulnerability? Vulnerability is not poverty. Vulnerability are households where you may have double income. Both parents are working. But still, the family is barely making it. There's no savings. There's no pension. People that don't own their homes. And one single shock could take them, could disrupt them, possibly irreversibly. And this is not an Israeli phenomenon exclusively. Marco Rubio recently said 40% of Americans are one broken car away from poverty. So that disruption is affecting all developed nations. I'm not even talking about what's going on in developing nations. But let's just focus right now on Europe and North America and Israel and other countries. There is a major disruption in society. People are losing their confidence. They're losing their security. They feel vulnerable. Suddenly, the pact that existed where, you know, if they get the education and they work hard, they will do okay, that's broken. Suddenly you can be, you can have a great job today and two or three years down the road you can be unemployed. And five years down the road, unemployable. So that disruption is very, very powerful. And the question is, if the households are breaking down on the one hand, and government is incapable on the other hand, there is a middle level here, which is the community, that could serve as a safety net And support households on the one hand. So, support households on the one hand, and at the other hand, allow people to uh, uh, compensate for the incapacity of government to be responsive to local needs. So, it's big enough to deal with the needs of the collective, and it's small enough to be responsive for households, for the needs of households. So, the first point we're making, uh, um, I'm making here, is that the building block of a model 21st century society is the community. And the reason this is a very important insight for us as Israelis and Jews is that I believe that no other society in the world carries in its DNA more knowledge on how to organize communities than the Jewish people. And a key insight related to that is that at the heart of every community there is a core set of institutions. So if you go to Buenos Aires, you go to New York, you go to Los Angeles, you go to Paris, you go to Moscow, you go to Tehran today, in every Jewish community you'll find the same core set of institutions. Okay? And that idea is actually very powerful because we can really imagine a core set of institutions in Israel that could exist in every community in Israel. Jewish or not Jewish, rich or poor, north or south or center. And these core institutions, if we're able to imagine them in a 21st century way that supports productivity and employability and inclusiveness and quality of life, then we could actually imagine the entire society moving forward. And we believe that this is a vision that is relevant not just for Israel. It's actually relevant all over the world. So if community is the building block, The structure of society in the 21st century is what we call a network of communities. So why a network of communities? Because being organized as a network, as a loosely affiliated network, is a very resilient way to organize people. But at the same time, it's very resilient, but it's also very responsive. Because every unit, every community can come up with its own innovation, with its own unique way to deal with the challenges that it faces. And the network allows this knowledge to travel back and forth. So let's say if in your community here you create something, a program that really works great for your commu- for KI, right? Kilat Israel. Over time, that program will travel across the network and other communities may imitate you. So the same thing could happen in the way you, we manage schools and we manage community centers and early childhood centers and so on. So basically what we're saying is we need to reinvent the communities and we need to connect communities all over Israel. Because that structure of a network of communities is also addresses another major problem that we have in Israel, which is the tremendous diversity of our society. So the overall structure is national, and it creates unity. But every community is different. So we can be together and separate, unified and diverse. And these are not just ideas on paper. We're actually working very hard to pilot these ideas in places like the city of Tzfat, in the eastern Galilee, in the region of the western Galilee, and in other places around Israel. So basically what our team does today is be engaged in experimenting with radical new ideas of how to make our society relevant to the rapidly accelerating pace of change so that people are employable and productive throughout their lifetime. So they're in a the process of what is called lifelong learning. They're always improving their skills and staying, uh, um, uh, staying relevant to the labor market. The third idea about what a model society is in the 21st century is what we call inclusive growth. So the idea of inclusive growth is that growth which is generated today growth is generated in a very small section of our society. In the case of Israel it's the high-tech sector you know about three to five percent maybe 7% of the the society, and there are growing gaps. So the benefits of wealth trickle down too little too late. And there are a lot of people that feel marginalized. They're not part of the party. There is a great party going on, and a lot of you that go to Israel, I'm sure you hear about the Startup Nation, and you're seeing all these startups all over Israel, but there are a lot of people that do not participate in this party. They're not part of the success story. And the challenge of the 21st century is to make prosperity and growth more inclusive. So how do you do that? Again, that ties back to the idea of what happens in the community. And we imagine the communities, the schools, the community centers, and so on all over Israel, as platforms that support all the time the ability of people to replenish their skills, to keep learning over and over again. Another element here is that we're saying in the labor market, we're saying more and more people who no longer work steady jobs, right, 9 to 5. They work what we call fragmented jobs, they're freelance. So the correlation that happens, (laughs) that used to happen, between school time and work time is no longer there, which means in the morning you put your kids in school, you went to work. You came back in the afternoon, the kids were out of school, out of the programs. You received them. That overlap is now breaking apart. So, with strong communities where kids could move freely in and out of community centers and schools and so on, parents will be will have much more greater degrees of freedom to work longer hours, shifts, and, and etc. So, basically, we need to create an entire set of arrangements that allow people to really maximize their economic potential because otherwise they are compromised and they are basically increasingly compromised increasingly vulnerable so another element of this whole idea of inclusive growth is to allow every area in Israel to bring forward their unique story we used to think in israel that every that is the We used to think of Israel as a very small economy, with one story, economic development story, that was relevant for everybody in the north and in the south. It was managed from Jerusalem, it was managed by the government. But actually, when you look more closely at what's going on in Israel, the western Galil and the eastern Galil, the western Negev and the eastern Negev, the central Negev, Eilat in the south each and every one of them could have their own separate economic story of economic growth. So for example, in the Western Galil, which is an area we're working on, they have two unique assets that they could work with. The first is that this is the most culturally diverse area of Israel. 52% of the people living in that area are not Jewish. They're Druze, they're Arabs, they're Christians, they're Muslims, a very diverse area with a lot of communities. So there is this tremendous diversity there that could be turned into an asset of economic development, mostly working with small businesses, of tourism, bed and breakfast, cultural hospitality and, and, and so on. The second thing that is unique to that area is that this is an area that is a world leader in in the in industry related to the use of metal. So, for example, Warren Buffett that bought Iscar, the four or five billion dollar investment. That whole cluster of uh, of, uh, of activities using uh, metals and creating uh, high uh, um, um, high level, you know, blades for airplanes and so on. That's all in that area. We have a lot of military industries there and so on. So, this is an area where you could actually imagine. Th- Um, you could imagine it as the leading space in the world in the field of metal and industry. In the same way, you know, that Palo Alto is in the field of innovation and technology. We could, in the field of metals and and industry, that area could be one of the leaders in the world. So in this relatively small area, a quarter of a million people live there, there are two unique stories around which we could build a, a, a strategy for economic development and growth that it builds on the talents of the local population and therefore they could have a much more prosperous horizon in terms of employment productivity and income so the third big idea if you think about it for a model society is so the three ideas of, of, of a model society is first of all basic unit is the community being organized as a network of communities and really figuring out the challenge of inclusive prosperity. And then comes the fourth element, which is actually making a difference for the world. Because it's great that we would be, that we would be able to figure out you know, how to organize people and how to make sure that uh, most people are included and everybody benefits from prosperity. These are tremendous challenges, and to the extent that we could actually achieve them, it would be really impressive, and people will come from all over the world to learn about our experiences and, uh, and the progress that we have made. But there is also another element, which is we have to be able to make a contribution to humanity. Now, for many, many centuries, Jews contributed to our humanity qualitatively through the ideas that we have created, the idea of the Shabbat, a social justice human rights, international law. These are all Jewish ideas that were eventually spread all over the world. But today, and moving forward, for the first time in our history, we are also in a position to make a contribution to the world quantitatively. We are actually in a position where the Israel and the Jewish people could move the needle on global issues. And that's a real first step in our history. So in this case, I want to tell you the story of a project called TOM. TOM stands for Tikkun Olam Makers, which is a project that we are also running in our um, in our institute. But it is inspired by a vision that together we can improve the lives of a quarter of a billion people within a decade and get the credit for it. So let me say yeah, a few words about... Good
0: luck with that. What? Good luck with getting the credit.
3: Well... That's the whole strategy about getting the credit. So basically, we want to get to a quarter of a billion people. By the way, we also want a million Israelis to benefit for it within the next decade. So these are very, very ambitious numbers. And this whole story about Tom actually deals with what we call neglected problems. Okay? So a neglected problem is a problem that has no market solution and no government solution. In this case, this woman that you're seeing here, her name is Kim, she's an American. She was born with no hands, as you can see, no hands, and no legs. Okay, so she's like a quadri-amputee. The thing is that there are so few individuals like Kim in the world, that no company would ever focus on her needs to create affordable solutions for her. And she's such a rare case that even government won't focus on her needs. So her problem is neglected. Okay? And there are many, many people around the world that suffer from neglected problems. And it's not that their problems don't have a solution. It's just that the incentive system in the markets is such that these solutions are never created. And these people are never seen. Right? Now in some cases, there could be a solution, but it's very expensive. So the price point actually excludes a lot of people that cannot afford a solution. So all of these people come together in our, work, in our book, within a community that suffers of what we call neglected problems. And what we know is, that if you focus if you expose the need and you focus the talent a lot of times you have an easy relatively easy solution which could be made extremely affordable so for us tackling these problems is about tikkun olam but it's also about the vision of a model society where no one is left behind it's a model society where the benefits of innovation are trickling to everybody. So it's about a global vision, it's about a social vision, but it's also about making Israel the leading country in the world in dealing with the challenges of people at the bottom of the pyramid. And by the way, I also believe it's going to be great business for Israel. A lot of jobs and a lot of innovation and ultimately also a lot of investment. Because trillions of dollars are going to be invested by humanity in the needs of people at the bottom of the pyramid. And I believe that we have a tremendous opportunity to become the leading place in the world in dealing with these challenges. So the way we deal in this project called TOM with the needs of Kim is once we understand the need... We create a team of people. These are the people that you see here. That could be engineers, programmers, product designers, and so on. And they work together with her, with Kim, in creating a solution, a specific solution to her specific problem. The trick is, as I will explain in a moment, that that solution will then be made globally available and accessible. So if we solved her problem, we actually solved everybody else's problem in the world that is similar to hers. So, um, but in order to create these solutions, you need equipment. And this, assembling this equipment is expensive. So if we go through the effort of assembling basically a workshop to create a solution for Kim, we can actually, on that occasion, solve many other problems as well. So these processes are called Makeathons, okay? Marathons of making, of making solutions. And the name of the project is Tom, Tikun Olam makers because we make solutions. Now in the case of Kim, as you can see, we created a grabber. See this? This is an instrument that she holds from her mouth, and with that she can actually grab objects on her desk. okay? You see it here, you see it here, and so on. So that's a solution that was created for her. It was created with her. So now what I'll do is, um, we'll just do, play a short video. And this is a video that was produced by APAC for the last policy conference where APAC um, basically told our story. It was shown in the plenary. Um, the movie actually speaks for itself. But then afterwards, I'll say a few words and, uh, and bring it all back together. So, um, it, it, Tom is a really uh, exciting project. And actually, uh, uh, a couple of months ago, we were recognized as one of the 15 most promising Israeli startups for 2016 the point is that we are the only non-profit in that list so um, um, and that, that for us is actually a testament that there is a growing awareness around the world and in Israeli society, by the way that recognition came from Inc. magazine which is an American magazine and they knew we were a non-profit but there is a growing awareness that unless we, 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 we can imagine new ways for addressing the acute needs of our society you know the crisis will continue so if I want to close this whole opening uh, remarks and then uh, leave enough time for our conversation um, what I try to convey to you is that the idea of building a model society in the 21st century in Israel is not just about you know big ideas that are 30,000 feet that there is a way to translate this vision into concrete work on the ground that addresses the acute needs of people in Israel in a way that could be a model for the world. And that happens in the communities. It happens in the way we connect communities within our society. And it happens on the way we engineer economic growth and development, and we make sure that everybody gets to participate, and ultimately also in the contribution that we make to humanity. And these are the big challenges that we face, but these challenges are also tremendous opportunities. So again, I'm really grateful for um, for being here tonight and for the opportunity to speak to you. Um, and, you know, would love to uh, share a conversation.
2: Okay. We're going oh. to open it up for Q&A. Um, the one thing that I would ask is, um, so that we have time for everyone who wants to ask a question, to ask that question, if you would, um, please just ask your question and um, not add commentary prior to your question, as we are all want to do. Um, and if you would like to uh, ask a question, please raise your hand, and we'll call on you, and we'll get a microphone to you. Uh, well, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I'm very interested in your
0: um, statement that trillions of dollars are going to go into helping the folks at the bottom. Given the expansion and the rate of expansion of the gap between rich and poor, both in this country and in Israel and in Europe and other places, I would love to know your evidence for that kind of hope.
3: Well, first of all, we're seeing um, governments investing billions and billions of dollars, and it's happening all over the world. But really the big potential is the business community. And what we're seeing in the business community is growing awareness in terms of their responsibility to society. And first and foremost, uh, the most uh, so a lot of people are looking at the money that is being allocated. Well, one of the most important elements that businesses can allocate is actually the talent of their people. And what happened is that until recently, there was no real structure to deploy talent. If you think about talent that works in Google or in Intel or all these companies to actually solve acute problems of the world, right? Because people would only give a fraction of their time, a few hours or a few days, and that would be scattered all over. So how do you translate all that goodwill and talent into real impact in the world? And part of what we're seeing now through different projects, including the project of Tom, is that there are increasingly systems and structure that allow people that give you only a small fraction of their time to come together and to solve problems. So if you add up, all of these people willing to give you a few hours or a few days. If you add that up, it's a tremendous, it's an ocean of opportunity. And on this side, there is an ocean of neglected problems. And if we are only able to clear the demand for talent with the supply for talent, we could actually make a tremendous difference in the world. So there are trillions of dollars of resources that are, will be made available, we believe. Over the next years, and we also believe that Israel can become a focal point in the world in tapping into that opportunity and serving and offering that contribution. Yes. Please. We, we actually do not deal with that kind of education. But what we do see is the emergence of what is called the fourth sector. It's emerging in America, actually much more uh, advanced in America than in Israel. And the fourth sector is actually about uh, entities, legal entities, that are, have a business goal and a social goal together. So it's what is called the double bottom line. And in America, it's often referred to as B-corporations. And that's a new space in the, in the economy and society, which is very promising. Specifically, we don't deal with education, the kind of which you're referring to. We are focusing on creating the models that address the acute needs and acute problems in society. So in this case, the problem that Tom was created, uh, was designed to address, is A, the problem that the fact of the challenge of a lot of neglected problems in society, which means a lot of people that are suffering or are struggling with a challenge that no one's looking at except us or people that do the same kind of work that we do. And the second piece is that we believe that there is a tremendous opportunity for Israel and the Jewish people together to move the needle on global issues and get the credit for it. So those two problems is what Tom is focused on. And what we do is we create these models to address these problems. There is, the whole world of education is a separate challenge, and we don't do it. Hopefully, others are.
2: Let's go ahead. I don't know whether you can address in a few words the measures that Israel is doing towards water conservation.
3: Right. So um, the, the question was about water conservation. As I mentioned uh, earlier. Um, actually, in a little bit of a greater detail, between 2010 and 2012, we had a whole team that was looking on how Israel and the Jewish people together could make this very big difference to humanity that I was mentioning earlier. Our goal was to improve the lives of a quarter billion people. Uh, the mentor of that group actually envisioned a moment 10-15 years down the road where Israel and the Jewish people get the Nobel Prize for Peace for a totally outsized contribution to humanity. The question is, how do you get there? So we created a number of, we identified a number of principles that will help us get to that, achieve that very ambitious goal. And then we were looking at strategies how to implement it. So one strategy was to take the whole spirit of startup nation and entrepreneurship and deploy it to deal with social problems, which is Tom that you saw here. The second big idea was to take an area where Israel has done extremely well, model it and scale it all over the world. And after you know, exploring a lot of ideas, we concluded that the one area where Israel has done exceptionally well, where there are hundreds of millions of people that are suffering, is life in arid areas. So it's not just water technologies and, every, and that kind of... It's the whole philosophy that has been created in the northern Negev about life in arid areas. It's about agriculture. It's about the way you use water and you find water and how you build communities and, and uh, you know, solar energy and so on. And there are, as I mentioned, many, many millions of people, many of them, by the way, are Arabs and Muslims that live in arid areas and the work that we have done could be tremendously worthwhile for them. Um, what ended up happening for in our case is that our partners, we were, we, we had a Uh, Another organization was partnering with us. They took that challenge and started working on it. But eventually a person by the name of Yossi Siegel, Seth Siegel, wrote this book, um, Let There Be Water. And he is basically leading the charge. But in terms of publicizing the prophecy, right? But in terms of the real work, there are a lot of companies like Netafim and Mia and other companies. These are Israeli technologies that are spreading all over the world. Uh, in the field of using uh, water, creating water, recycling water, and so on. So this is really an area where the the contribution to humanity could be tremendous. We identified it, but we ended up going in a different path, which is the path of Tom that you just saw. Right, so we see it both as a challenge and an opportunity. Um, the opportunity is that this diversity um, brings a lot of new ideas and new thinking and new ways of, uh, of uh, you know, organizing people in society. Um, and I think it actually makes our society richer and more interesting. Specifically, I tell you that in the area of the Western Galil where we've been working for the last three years in trying to put this whole area on the path of development. This is the northwest corner of Israel. Um, all of Israel is ranked, all of cities and communities and areas in Israel are is ranked from 1 to 10 in terms of their level of development. Obviously, if you're above 5, if you're six, seven, eight, or 9, you're an engine of growth. If you're under 5, you're actually sub-average. This is an area ranked 4, and our vision is that it becomes 6 or 7, which means it becomes a growth engine. What is so interesting about this area, as I mentioned, is it's a very, very diverse area. 52% of that area is not Jewish. It is actually, when you think about it, an extension of what Lebanon used to be until the Civil War. Until the Civil War in 1976, Lebanon used to be highly diverse in terms of Christians and Muslims and Druze and Arabs, etc. That diversity actually extended. The international borderline is random. It was created between the French and the British. But that Population diversity extended into Israel and it still exists in Israel today, although it's been disrupted dramatically in other, in other places. So that level of coexistence that exists in Israel does not exist today in Lebanon and in many, um, and certainly not in other places in the Middle East. Actually in Israel, it's the only Christian community in the Middle East that is growing today. Um, and what is so unique about the work we're doing in the Western Galil is that after we brought together leaders of all communities to think together about the economic future of the region and we asked them to highlight what is unique about the region that could be turned into an engine of growth they determined together that their diversity is an asset so this is the only case that we're aware of in Israel where Jews and Arabs together determined that their diversity is actually an asset of growth but when you think about it, it could also be the story of Israel Israel is very diverse among Jews, and it's 20% non-Jewish. So there is a lot of opportunity for us to do work. Now obviously there are other forces in society that are exclusive, and you know, they, they have a different vision, which is not about collaboration, it's not about coexistence. But in every society there is this tension. And the role of the people we work with, and the mission of the people we work with, is actually to shape a future where that diversity is an asset. And it's basically up to us. And I think we can make it happen. Other societies that didn't get it right actually imploded into civil war, into tensions, into violence. So we better succeed because if we don't, if we do, it's a future of prosperity and coexistence. And if we don't, it's actually a very grim reality. And people, I believe, understand it in many areas. And in the Western Galil, they deeply understand it. The intellectual property created in, Tom. in Tom. So the whole idea is we're trying to create extremely affordable solutions to neglected problems. So the point of departure is that there is no market right that that justifies for companies to come in and create the solutions. So the way we bring down the price is number one, we don't pay for talent, everybody is a volunteer. Number two, we challenge people to decrease the price, to create a, te- a technological solution that is very, very uh, cheap, sometimes cost zero. And third, there's no intellectual property. So it's all open source. So the way it goes is, we, as I said, we issue a call for needs. A lot of people with disabilities or elderly and so on, they come forward and they say, I have a need. I'd like that need to be solved. There's no market solution to my need. We choose those needs that could have a technological solution. We then issue a call for talent. So around every need, around Kim, for example, there's now a team of engineers and programmers and so on to, to work to solve her need. This work, that solution, is what is called open source. No one owns the intellectual property. Once we have the prototype, we invite another group to take the prototype to turn it into a product. That takes a few months. So if the first process, the breakthrough moment, takes three days, then it takes a few months to go from prototype to product. Once we have the product, the whole what is called spec, which means all the information about the product, all the drawings, everything, is going to be put in what we call a marketplace, which is like a big website. If you can imagine an app store of products that are basically for free, for all these neglected problems. So the group, uh, the company helping us create this, this marketplace is Google together with eBay. Once we have this marketplace, anybody anywhere around the world can download the product and use it. Now you say, how does an old person, man or woman, down the street, download the product and use it? Right? There is still a distribution challenge which we plan on tackling in 2017 and 2018. But our big idea is that are every school today, or more schools, are expected to do community service. And many of these schools are building these laboratories with 3D printers and so on, that are basically totally underused. So the idea is that students, juniors and seniors in high school and also in colleges, but also people that have already retired, right? They will take responsibility for downloading these products, customizing them, and delivering them within the community. So basically, the distribution system are schools and community centers all over the world. And the people that will do the distribution are high school students, colleges, people who are now working in companies, you know, and are willing to give us a few hours or a few days of their time, and are people that are retired. So basically, the whole system we're creating is designed to scale in a very big way. Another thing we did is we took these make that you saw, which is a relatively complicated operation. Until last year, we were running them ourselves. Now we documented the whole process. We are now also uploading videos that guide you A to Z on how to run a make So that if any one of you wants to run a make-a-thon here in KI, you can do it. So people all over the world are beginning to take to make the commitment to run these makeathons. Two weeks from now we have one in Vietnam, in Ho Chi Minh City, then in Buenos Aires, in Melbourne, and so on. So the moment we democratized the ability to run these makeathons, we're gonna have more and more of them. We're expecting fifty events like that by the end of twenty eighteen. So every event is creating 15 products, right? So you're you're doing the, you know, we're all doing the math. The same thing we're doing about the process from prototype to product. Right now we're running 12 groups. We're calling them developer groups, from prototype to product, documenting the whole process. And that means that, again, anybody anywhere around the world can take a prototype and drive it into product. And because it's open source, you can create the breakthrough idea here, and a group in Brazil can take your idea and turn it into product. And a group in Australia can then add another feature. So then all of this goes up to the website, and then there is the distribution. And we believe we can get to millions and millions of people within the next you know, few years. Because we're actually building the capacity to scale on all elements of that project. Yes. So if people are downloading this from Amazon and Google. And that's the name they see. How is Israel getting the credit? They're going to see the name Tom. Tikkun Olam makers, But, the few other elements that we are uh, insisting on that will make this project uniquely Israeli, distinctly Israeli and Jewish. First of all, the project is headquartered from Israel. So if you're in Vietnam or Australia or Argentina and you're dealing with the Tom team, you're calling Israel, you're calling 972. Secondly, everywhere we can, we drive this project through the local Jewish community And or the Israeli mission. So it's sort of tacitly framed as a gift of the Jewish community to the non-Jewish community. That's what happened in Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's what's going to happen in Buenos Aires. In Ho Chi Minh City, in in Vietnam, it's an initiative of the Israeli embassy that partnered with the USAID, you know, with the American embassy. In Melbourne, it comes from the Israeli mission together with the Jewish community, but it's an Australian project. Then another thing we do is wherever we can, we send Israelis to participate. So, to begin with, Israelis are really good at working in scarcity, you know, innovating on the fly and so on. But when you send in people who are already experienced, Tom participants, very quickly they rise to lead the local team. So what happened is, in the Bay Area make a um, we had basically an Israeli in every team, and in most of these teams, the Israelis ended up being... Um, the most, uh, the, the leading people on that enterprise, you know, on, in, in those teams. Um, so that's another element. And the last thing is that we plan on having an annual event in Israel, which is the only global event. So, for example, in Ho Chi Minh City, it's an event for Vietnam. In Buenos Aires, for Argentina, the annual event in Israel will be global. By the way, I actually neglected to mention Doris Schwartz here, who runs American Friends of Rehut. And, and Doris was actually there and she, she can tell you her you know, uh, experience but she was actually there to see the, the, the whole magic that happens through the presence through something that is on the face of things, let me show you see there's nothing Israeli in the title Bay Area make a right? it looks like a Bay Area event but when you were there you felt the Israeliness in the room. It was very evident it came from Israel. And that's what we're doing all over. So we're not like pushing the blue and white flag in the face of people, but anybody involved understands where it's coming from. And that's the idea.
2: We we have time for maybe one more question. Yes?
3: Okay, so first of all, I I don't think I said four, I said core. Core. But still, still let me mention them. First of all, in every Jewish community, there is a committee of the community. Vada Keila. Here you call it federation. Right? In Argentina it's called AMIA. In France it's called CRIF. In Britain it's called the Board of Deputies. There are always synagogues. There are always schools. There's always a fund of the community to take care of collective needs. There's always... Echeva kaddisha, right? To take care of burial. There are key functions that exist in every community. So basically, there is commonality among all Jewish communities, although no two Jewish communities are alike. So that sort of tension between the core set of institutions, which is unified, and the freedom of every community to be different, that's what makes the Jewish the world wide web of Jewish communities, so agile and flexible and evolving. The way what we did with this idea is, we asked ourselves, what is the list of core institutions that need to exist in every Israeli community, north or south, rich or poor, you know, Arab or Jewish? And the answer is, it's the school systems, it's early childhood systems, it's the community center, the Matnasim, it's the youth movements, sports uh, teams and frameworks, the public parks, um, uh, the young adults, Merkazet in Hebrew, and the arts and culture. So these are the eight core categories of institutions that obviously exist in every community. Our role is to reinvent each and every one of them and make them relevant for the 21st century and then connect all of them. So what does the 21st century community center look like? How does it... How do we make it more relevant to the needs of elderly people and people with disabilities? How do we, today, in Israel, it's mostly about recreation and fun. How do we make it relevant to the needs of people to go through a process of lifelong learning in the labor market, to remain productive and employable, and so on? So these are the questions we're asking about the community centers. Now think about the schools, right? Schools in Israel, I I assume also in America, Operate maybe 25% of the time. 75% of the time the schools are closed. Because of vacations, weekends, they're closed in the afternoons, they're closed in the evenings. Tremendous platforms that are barely used. And then we can reinvent the parks, and reinvent the early childhood centers, what is called in Hebrew, Pot Chalav. All of these institutions that were created in the 20th century, and sometimes in the earlier part of the 20th century... Could be reinvented and made relevant to the 21st to to what's going on to the 21st century, and that's what we're focused on. One of our projects is called Smart Communities, which is actually about imagining the technology that goes with it. So, what does the technological community center look like? Because if you think about it, the government has already put allocated there are 1,100 community centers and branches of community centers all over Israel so the government has already invested billions and billions of dollars in this infrastructure you know the real estate the land and the buildings and the staff and and so on now with the right kind of technology without technology this community center may be relevant within one mile half a mile but with technology it could be relevant within a mile and a half that that's more than you know all of us know the math it's more than three times it's much more than three times in terms of the population that you serve. So through technology we could take the same infrastructure that exists today and elevate it and leverage it for much greater social impact. So these are the kind of questions we're asking ourselves in terms of imagining what a twenty first century community looks like and what a twenty first century society should look like. And I wanna close and say something. Yeah, we're we're good. We're good. We're good? We're good. No, you want to... Okay, so I just want to close and say something about what's going on in America today and the work that uh, uh, we've been seeing and doing in Israel Um, because what is happening in America is dramatic and what happened in Israel in 2011 with the social protest with 450,000 people taking to the street in one night that's 7% of the population it's the equivalent of 21 million Americans in one demonstration there is a common denominator here And the common denominator is that there is a massive disruption in society. And that disruption is then translated into political unrest. So what you see in America, the common denominator between Sanders and Trump and Rubio and Cruz and all these people, is that they are responding to this unrest. And in Israel, the same thing is happening. That vulnerability is translated into aggressiveness and uh, uh, impatience and intolerance, and so on. And if we are unable to deal with these things at the core, we'll see these tensions and these aggressions escalating. And that's why we believe that it is vital, whether it is us or other groups, to think long and hard about how you organize society in the 21st century. It's not an esoteric challenge. It's at the core of what we need to do in order to ensure the long-term prosperity and security of our society, but also in America, I think. This is a major challenge facing America. And what is, I believe, and I know it sounds far-fetched, but I believe that the Jewish people, because of its legacy of thousands of years of building and managing communities, and Israel, we are in a unique position to, to write another remarkable chapter in our contribution to humanity because we are as Jews and Israelis right at the cusp of dealing with one of the most dramatic challenges that face all developed nations and I believe we are in a great position to make a significant contribution in that field and that's what we're going for in Israel I have to say I'm proud of our group but I have to say that in terms of the talent that I'm seeing in Israel, working on social issues, it's really unmatched. And it's remarkable. And any one of you that will come to Israel and will spend time, you'll meet these people out in the field. Many, many talented people are doing tremendous work. And I think together, we can make a big difference. And I'd like to finish that message on Yom note and. um and we really thank you for the opportunity of being here in this great community, Thank and you. it's a real pleasure. Thank you very much.
2: Okay. Thank you very Will you stay for cookies and coffee for a few minutes afterwards in case there's a few more questions? Okay, good. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, I just wanted to remind everybody that this Friday night we're going to continue the celebration of Israel with our Israeli independence um, Shabbat, starting with the Tikkun Olam project at 545 uh, and dinner, uh, family dinner. Shabbat services, and then uh, Israelis dancing afterwards, and um, songs around the campfire with s'mores. And um, so I hope that you'll all join us for that. If you are going to come to the dinner, please RSVP, though, so that we make sure that we have enough food. And
0: And we have uh, Israel Matters programming continues throughout the year of course not just uh, this week Uh, and coming in the fall uh, is the uh, much celebrated I Engage lecture and discussion series from Hartman from the Hartman Institute. KI is going to uh, take on I Engage uh, and that's going to be happening uh, Wednesdays in September uh, November, uh, one in December and one in January. So if you want more information please let us know and sign up so uh, we can have more discussion, a creative conversation about Israel.
2: And before we go, I would like to uh, acknowledge and thank the Israel Matters Committee for all of the hard work this past year. If you'll stand, if you're
0: here, if you'll stand up, if you're here, please. Your Israel Matters Committee hard at work for you.
2: Look for more great programming for next year. Uh, It'll be online, and um, you'll see a lot of flyers out. And thank you again for coming, and let's go eat. That's what we do.